The Money Show with Motel Haripe on 702. Let's walk the talk. APSA CIB, the market leader in renewable energy deals across Africa, is proud to bring you The Money Show. APSA is a registered FSP. Good evening and welcome to The Money Show. It does feel like an afternoon though because the sun's still out in Johannesburg. Well, new data from the FNB BRR Consumer Confidence Index pointing to an under-pressure consumer in the country. The Consumer Index slipped to a negative 17 index points, showing that it may be the season to be jolly, but both retailers and consumers are not feeling the festive cheer. How are you feeling about the festive season? Are you feeling a little cash flush or a bit cash strapped as the festive season approaches? We're actually in the festive season right now. Do you have some money to spend, especially on big ticket items like cars, uh, electronics or a new property? Uh, will, or will this festive season be spent indoors for you with minimal spend on luxuries? Do let us know by sending us a voice note uh, on our WhatsApp line on 072-702-1702. That's 072-702-1702. We'll be unpacking that particular number with Ndumiso Kubeka, Chief Economist at KH Research Equity Partners, looking at that bleak sentiment coming out from the Consumer Index. Then it might be the rest day at COP28 today, but Bruce was quite busy catching up on the latest developments on the sidelines of the COP28 climate change conference in Dubai. He'll give us the latest insights shortly. We then look at the National Health Insurance Bill And it's essentially on the president's desk right now, waiting for his stamp of approval. We'll discuss the possible implications on the medical industry, the funding gaps that will come with NHI and other permutations with Martin Kingston, the chairman at the organization Business for South Africa. Then in our usual features, uh, Pavlo Fatidis, CEO at Auric Business Accelerator, will give us the latest insights and small business focus. In our personal finance feature, financial mistakes to avoid during the festive season. You want to be catching up with that conversation with Gugu Sidaki, Director and Wealth Manager at Wealth Creed. That's all on The Money Show tonight. The Money Show will give you all the tools you need to navigate the complicated world of economics and commerce, even if you're not a numbers person. The Money Show with Motel Faribe. 6 to 8 p.m. Making money makes sense. On 702 and Cape Talk. Bringing you closer to the experts, the activists and the leaders driving positive climate change. This is The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield live from COP28 in Dubai, brought to you by the Vodacom Group. Now, so far, the climate conference has covered climate finance, emissions targets, the continued use of fossil fuels and other innovations that could make the transition to cleaner energies much, much simpler. But Bruce, what do you see as the upside of down when it comes to climate change and other opportunities that can come through from this particular meeting? You know, you've really got to sell this thing differently, haven't you? It's a bit like going on a diet or doing exercise or embarking on a financial plan. If you can see the upside, then you're going to work much harder at it. And certainly a lot of the innovators that I've been talking to today, and I spent time in the area of the green zone, the two zones, the blue zone, that's where all the negotiation and hard work and the public statements happen. In the green zone, it's more of an exhibition, if you like, and that's where people go to show off their wares. 
And the, the amount of innovation, the amount of deep thinking that is going into making the world a cleaner place is just phenomenal. And I will introduce you to a little bit of that sort of thinking in just a moment. But you can really tell that the world is on the edge of a change. And that comes through by the fact that this year's COP being held in the UAE is got the highest number of oil and gas um, producers who are registered at this particular COP28. There are figures out today that show 2,450 delegates, the biggest single delegation are from that industry alone. And I think that's telling because they're coming here looking to look after their vested interests, trying to mitigate their downside. And they are also looking to see what the future holds for their industries. It was really interesting catching up with Annika Brower. Now, Annika is a sustainability specialist at 91, and she's a big believer that we need to be thinking differently about the way in which we frame the climate change debate. We need to be looking at it more as a social issue. You know, when the world does heat up and when some places do become uninhabitable, what happens then? I caught up with Annika Brower a little earlier. I have learned that private sector is now at the core of the climate finance agenda. Three years ago, even five years ago, it was all about governments. It was about concessional capital. It was about regulation and it was about policymaking. And you can have all of that in place, but if finance is not moving in that direction, then you will never see progress. It is the privatisation, therefore, of the climate agenda because governments, and Tony Blair knew this 20 years ago when he set up a special office in the United Kingdom, and he said there's got to be a, a non-political solution to climate change. You can't be operating this thing on four- or five-year election cycles. Absolutely, and I think, you know, private capital moves where there is opportunity and it becomes aware when there is risk. And I think... The climate crisis has both proved very recently, the last year, you've never seen more climate-related disasters in the last 12 months. Um, it's proved the risk and it has proved an enormous opportunity. And that's the key point here. We've had the Sultan of uh, the United Arab Emirates saying that there's no science to prove that fossil fuels are at the center of climate change. And I think the rest of the world knows that that's bunkum, um, that fossil fuels are at the center. He's talking his book. This magnificent city-state is developed off the back of fossil fuels. It wouldn't Absolutely. exist if it didn't exploit over the last 50 years the oil reserves they have. So they've done that. They've got to be given a better incentive to decarbonize. And I feel we're going in that direction. Absolutely. In the last five days, every, every announcement that has scale is coming from this region. Three days ago, $30 billion fund announced for climate action, $5 billion specifically for emerging markets, not private capital, capped capital, so concessional capital for emerging markets, a climate transition. No other country, no other region has done that. S similarly, they, they uh, provided 100 million to refinance um, the GCF. Now, the people who stick fund. themselves to roads and to tennis courts and to paintings will say, yeah. well, this is clearly greenwashing. Yeah. They want to continue harvesting the fossil fuels and then take the dividends from one month's worth of fossil fuels and plow them into green projects to keep every, their critics quiet. I mean, I think that is a, it is a view, but I also think that is a very narrow view. What happened in Norway? What happened in the US? What did happen? Tell me. 
Norway has developed its entire economy off fossil fuels. It now just so happens to be green. It doesn't utilize its own extraction. It exports it. And so what you're going to see here, I mean, you know, that th this country is 100 years behind Norway, but in many years, it's 50 years ahead of any other country that is investing meaningfully, not only in climate transition, but specifically in emerging market climate transition. It is the one area, it is the blind spot of every other country that has attempted to do this. And again, there are 196 countries that have signed the Paris uh, climate, uh, climate Agreement. There we go, that's what it's called. Um, 196 countries signed it. We are already, one and a half degrees is gone, two degrees is going. We're now hearing whispers of people accepting three degrees. Neither of us is a scientist, but I think both of us knows that that comes with disastrous consequences unless we harness global capital to solve the problem. And harnessing global capital requires global solutions, it requires collaboration, it requires consolidation, um, and I think the most, you know, 90% of new emissions growth is going to come from Africa, Asia, Latin America, and the Middle East. And those are places of the world that need support from the rest. 100%. And so if we are going to be below that three degree line, if we are going to be below a warmer world, then capital should be flowing to those regions. That is the only way for us to not achieve that four degree disaster. What happens at four degrees? Well, four degrees, I mean, we will have sea levels rising in, in Dubai up to a point where all of those fancy hotels, the ones that everybody here is staying in, you know, th those will not be existent. We will not be able to walk outside in, in, in winter in the Middle East. In, in Africa, I mean, the region we're from, it's about food. It's about food security and it's about supply of water. Those are the two most critical things that underpin any society to be able to thrive. They, the, the panel I just heard, heard previously is climate change is not about the environment. It's actually a social security issue. It's survival. It is an economic issue. There will be mass migration into the regions that um, you know, are least impacted, like the UK, for instance. There will be mass migration more than they will ever be able to manage. And so we have to move the narrative from this being about the environment. This is not about the environment. This is about economic risk and gain, and it is about social security. Scary, Bruce. Some of the things that could happen if we don't rein in these climate challenges, especially globally. For Africa, it's food. For the rest of the world, of course, it's those rising uh, temperatures, but also the yeah. natural disasters that we've seen more of. But there's been a lot of private uh, players that have attended this conference. What are the other uh, you know, private sectors saying? Why are they attending this particular conference? Well, they're also showing off what they've got. They're showing off their wares and companies like SAP, for example. It's a global giant. It's in a consulting business. It's in the software business. And it creates systems to help companies, and this is quite an important distinction to make, help companies reduce their carbon footprint. And I was chatting to a man called Guke Tuna, who is a data analyst at SAP earlier today. And just talking to Goke earlier and just saying, look, it's all well and good to be telling corporates they need to do this, but surely in our everyday lives, if we take the same principles that SAP is telling its clients, its big corporate clients to do, 
And we just reduce, reuse, recycle. There's an old song about that, I'm sure. But have a listen to Gokei Tuna. Describe the sorts of things that you and I can do, Moteo. And I want you to start first thing tomorrow morning. We also have to play our part, right? After the show. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, little, tiny, minuscule steps make the world of difference. Here's the man from SAP. If you look into yourself as an individual, right? So you wouldn't want to throw yourself out there. Is we would like you to do the same thing with your carbon consumption. But as SAP, what we are doing is we're providing these solutions for, let's say, companies in any kind of size, right? And what we believe is, as a company, you cannot improve if you cannot measure. So we provide the means to those companies to be able to measure their carbon emissions just like that they would measure this money in the terms of a financial accounting. In practical terms, for example, you say 12 billion pounds of CO2, 20 million trees could be saved. Yes. Instead of using paper cups or plastic cups, use refillable mugs. I mean, simple steps like that to making yes. a change. But what happens is that the SAP is the only company that you could actually measure this when it comes to the scope three. So that it means that we have hundreds of thousands of customers working in many different types of industries, right? So for instance, if you take this bottle over there, Right? The production of this bottle would involve many steps. That also involves suppliers, the vendors, etc. You're, right? you're, you're pointing towards a plastic bottle, a 500 plastic, meter, yeah, 500 milliliter bottle. Yes, so it could be plastic. It could be any kind of, let's say, a physical product or a virtual product itself. Right, And that would involve many steps in between. So those steps, even the suppliers that you are actually bringing into your product would have a carbon consumption. But our solutions will help you to reduce those carbon footprint. So that means that sometimes your carbon footprint for your product, and that's what we see also in this demonstration that we are doing with these four companies here, that for one of the customers 50% of their carbon consumptions for the particular product comes from one supplier. So if we help you to understand and I give that insight to you that you can actually as a who as a company make a significant impact to the environment. It's about understanding your entire supply chain, not just the fact that you buy exactly. a plastic bottle to fill with water. Exactly. Your entire supply chain, your entire resources, even the carbon that comes from the business travel. So we call it as a scope three. So that there are, let's say, different 15 categories that comes into that picture just to come up with. It runs the risk of becoming very complicated for... And that's what or, we simplify. Exactly. But for ordinary solution. people to work it out. But it goes to everything from saving water to the way in which toilet paper is made Waste, to the way uh, in which all of this sort of stuff. gas emissions it is about managing also in our individual lives the way in which we consume products yes. and yes. i mean one of the big scandals of the world is the is the way in which clothing is has got to gone to fast fashion and you wear something two or three times and then throw it away yes. as opposed to buying proper clothing you talk about every kilogram of commercially produced textiles generates 17 kilograms of and yes. it's the stuff we never think about. And I yes. suppose all I can ask you is to draw our attention yes. to the stuff we don't think about. Yes, exactly. I mean, if you think about it, right? So that's why we try to showcase all those single products. And this is something that the people can relate to. And just by changing a certain activity or a certain behavior very slightly, collectively, we can make a significant impact on an environment. But now, as SAP, we also contribute this in an indirect way. So that it means that if we can help these companies to reduce this connection, the emissions around 20% to 30%, right? And you can imagine that those products are being consumed by millions of people, right? So if these people are careful, 
and the companies have an insight. So it's collectively companies together with the individuals make a lot more significant impact. Gorgatuna, thank you very, very much indeed. He works with SAP. He's a data analyst. And it reminds me of an advert that was run by one of the most progressive companies in the world when it comes to climate change. And that, of course, is Patagonia. They ran an advert that said, don't buy this jacket. And the jacket was a highly sustainable, long, hard-wearing jacket. And they were drawing attention to the fact that most clothing has got a huge carbon footprint. Theirs doesn't. And sales of that particular jacket they told their customers to not buy rocketed by 30% after that advert and it was very clever marketing but it also drew attention to the fact that this is a hugely huge huge issue around the world okay thank you very much indeed and Mateo to you thank you very much indeed that's a wrap on the money show for me for from Dubai from COP27 thank you Bruce for keeping an eye and an ear on that particular conference the money show the markets Bleeding red were the markets today. The JSC down 614 points. Uh, industrials are down a half a percent. Uh, banking and insurance stocks down one and a half percent with mining shares also ending the day in negative territory. To unpack the numbers, we're joined by Rudy van der Marwe, portfolio manager at Advice Works. A lot of things happening on the market today. Uh, if you're looking at uh, consumer confidence index that came in lower, uh, European shares were lower today. Of course, uh, Europe's economy is slowing down in the third quarter as well and what really drove this weakness that we're seeing here today Evening, Mateo. yeah I, th- I think a lot of what you're saying is is really lies at the bottom of it um you know the uh, host of economic data none of the major the important economic events but but lots of successive data points uh, are, are reasonably negative one of which was obviously our domestic consumer confidence uh, which is not particularly helpful, um, and we we also had we had some data which is somewhat positive, but for unfortunate reasons, our current account deficit actually compressed. Uh, we had a current account a widening of the surplus uh, this month, but it was uh, there was a moderate decline in exports, but a but a very markedly uh, slower level of imports, which dropped by about 192 odd billion rand. Um, I think that's mainly as a result of very poor support infrastructure operations and the like. Um, so you know, it is nice to have a trade, trade surplus, but not for these reasons, um, unfortunately. And uh, internationally, we saw European GDP numbers uh, not looking not looking particularly good at the moment, uh, and job uh, job losses escalating in the US as well. So um, there's also an increasing bit of trepidation as to what exactly the, the direction of the US economy is from where it is at the moment, um, you know, whether they are going to be able to pull off a, a soft landing or not. Uh, and that obviously has consequences for the rest of the world as well. And Rudy, as market traders and people that look at these things on a daily basis, looking at South Africa's uh, poor challenges now, do you then assess uh, the risk for companies that could be most affected at the port and look uh, to, to see how you'd like to trade those particular companies at this moment? That's certainly one of the things we would look at. You know, unfortunately, pretty much everyone in South Africa is impacted one way or another. So the, the broader economic impact is, is almost more important than the company-specific impact. You don't. Uh, it's, it's very difficult to isolate. You know exactly whose whose containers are going to be more stuck than than their competitors. Um, it's, so one one can't always refine that detail to the extent that you need to. But certainly, the the impact of 
of ports that, that don't allow our goods to get to international markets. It's, it's bad for economic activity. It's bad for tax collection. Uh, it has implications for our credit standing on a global basis. Uh, and on the other hand, you know, people not being able to distribute products, uh, not being able to get spares for whatever it be, vehicles or TVs or, or, or uh, um, uh, electricity generation plants. If, if those sort of things are slowed down, there, there's all sorts of potential consequences. And that has been a, a massive hang-up for us. It does seem that there are some appointments being made, but, and, and certainly there are promising indications that the the congestion at the Durban port uh, are likely to to improve somewhat. I know they're talking about improving operations by in the region of thirty odd percent, which would certainly be very very useful. And from where our economy is at the moment, you know, even a marginal pickup in efficiencies in, in these services would would have a significant impact on yeah. on economic activity and and absolutely on on the rating of the market as well potentially. Then papermaker Mondi uh, saying it's gotten a return uh, for the sale of its Russian assets. It should be a bit of joy for some of those shareholders. Absolutely. It's very good news. Uh, you know, they, well, when the Ukrainian uh, situation arose, they, they decided to exit Russia and had initially had uh, a, a buyer identified. Uh, and that dragged on for quite a long time and unfortunately collapsed. They did then find a replacement. And, you know, I think there was some doubt as to whether they could pull off the second the second sale, but they have. And they've, they've converted the proceeds into to euros. So they're sitting with a, a cash pile of, in the region of 775-odd million euros, which is translates to close to 19-odd billion rand, which they're talking about distributing to, to shareholders potentially as a special dividend. Uh, and that should be quite positive for, for the outlook for money, and certainly shareholders, I think, would welcome that, that, that cash flow. All right, that was Rudy van der Marvel, Portfolio Manager at Advite Works, covering the markets for us there. Mondi are saying today that it had received the final payments from the sale of its Russian assets, that net proceeds of 775 million euros would be distributed to shareholders in the form of a special dividend. You're with Motel Faribe on 702 and Cape Talk. APSA CIB, the market leader in renewable energy deals across Africa, is proud to bring you The Money Show. APSA is a registered FSP. Now, we touched on it last night as news came through that the NCOP had passed the National Health Insurance Bill a step closer to reality, but at what cost? Of course, that particular bill now on President Cyril Ramaphosa's desk waiting his approval but there are some parties saying that he shouldn't approve it just yet Martin Kingston, Chairman at Business for South Africa joins us now on The Money Show Martin, the South African Health Ministry is saying the provisions outlined in the NHI Bill represent a comprehensive and transformative approach to healthcare delivery in South Africa you don't agree with this particular NHI Bill in its current form why? Well, uh, you're absolutely right, Matteo. The fact is that uh, we are completely uh, supportive of the concept of universal health care. But NHI is currently drafted, and indeed it has been approved uh, by both the National Assembly and the National Council of Provinces, we believe to be both unconstitutional and unimplementable. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, not a single input from any of the states 
All right, maybe let's try get Martin on a better line there. Martin, uh, of course, joining us as the chairman of Business for South Africa, talking about the National Health Insurance Bill that was passed by the National Council of Provinces last night. This particular bill are looking to have uh, inclusive health care for all South Africans, but it's been the funding that's been the point of question, but also the applicability uh, when you think about the private sector and how it's going to be affected by this particular bill martin uh, can you hear me clearly or uh, i can hear you clearly can you hear me got a clear line for you as well if you can just pick up on the uh, workable model of the nhi bill which you don't believe it's in in its current form well we don't think it's uh, workable at the moment because a number of issues have been overlooked most importantly now that it is going to be placed in front of the president he'll have to apply his mind as to whether or not it passes a constitutional muster and we're very keen Uh, that it should, but it needs to have a number of areas that are reviewed uh, to do that. In terms of its constitutionality, uh, we're concerned that it limits citizens' freedom of choice and the ability to access health care. We think it will actually materially delay access uh, to universal health care if amendments that not only we but others, including the National Department of Health, uh, have uh, proposed are not effected. Indeed, uh, only yesterday the National Department of Health was suggesting It'll take between 10 and 15 years to implement, although, in fact, uh, there are phases in the current uh, proposed legislation that suggest that it'll be implemented in two phases in 2026 and 2028. Uh, We think that's not achievable. Uh, We think it'll lead to significant disinvestment uh, in the private sector and the private healthcare sector, not just medical schemes and private hospitals and clinics, but private practitioners, doctors, dentists, nurses, and the like, and we're concerned about the fact that the minister is granted unfettered discretion even to determine his own uh, powers. There are a number of substantive as well as procedural constitutional points that we'll be bringing to the president's attention uh, in the context of the petition that we'll be submitting to the president uh, in the coming days. But as you know, we won't be the only party doing so. A number of other parties, including doctors, including Uh, Other constituencies, not just from business, uh, will be making uh, their concerns known to the president. And there are others, again, who will no doubt uh, try and litigate directly, although we don't believe that's a constructive or appropriate way uh, to move forward. So what would make it a a better way to move forward, Uh, especially if we think about the funding that would come with it? So let's say the kitty was big enough to cover uh, the industry's concerns and also cover the pay of those uh, private practitioners that you talk about that could flee the country if it's implemented in this current form. What give it that give us that special number that you think the kitty uh, should be big enough to cover NHI? Well, by their own uh, calculations, uh, believe that this is the National Department of Health, that approximately 500 billion rand a year is required to cover it. The only way that can happen is, of course, by corralling all the resources that are available, but also a significant increase in the tax burden on the country. That's obviously fiscally unsustainable uh, at the moment. And indeed, the Minister of Finance, uh, when asked about uh, NHI, has made that very observation, saying that it's not practical or indeed financeable uh, at the moment. We need to do it uh, progressively. Uh, we certainly need to harness all of the resources in the past, uh, both the skills and experience as well as the funding uh, that is currently being deployed, albeit uh, to a small proportion of the population. 
but we need to ensure that we do it in a manner that leverages that resource uh, rather than depletes it. And we have to remember that it's individuals and companies uh, who contribute to medical schemes at the moment. It's not as though it can just be appropriated uh, by the state. It cannot be. I think there's been a lot of uh, contention when it comes to this particular bill in, 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 in the way that it's being introduced and passed through very quickly. That's, um, you know, left a lot of uh, private sector players quite nervous about what that means for the industry. But if we could iron it out, and uh, like you say, it is a noble idea. It's just the form that it's in could uh, trigger some disinvestment in the medical industry. But in what form would you be satisfied that this is the NHI that South Africa needs? Well, the most important uh, section uh, to be considered is Section 33. At the moment, that really does conflict with progressive realization and access to healthcare, And they haven't looked at uh, appropriate Uh, alternatives. Uh, We need to provide for the inclusion and the involvement and participation of the private sector and particularly uh, medical schemes. That would go a long way. The second thing is that we need to resolve either conflicts of lack of clarity and definition uh, within the current uh, legislation that needs to be resolved as a matter of urgency. Uh, Thirdly, we need to ensure that we've got specificity about the process that's going to be followed. Uh, We need to have a framework in the legislation that is clear and predictable. Uh, Uncertainty, as we know, simply undermines confidence levels and reduces the level of investment for the short, the medium and the long term. Uh, We believe, and uh, not only, as I said, business, but many other stakeholders have given similar input. If that was incorporated, uh, we could, with relatively little amendment, uh, actually progress with the NHI as amended and achieve the objectives, as you said, uh, of universal health care as quickly and as comprehensively as possible. We know that when the president is stumped on an issue, he likes to put together a body uh, or any uh, sort of workshop that would really work through some of the difficulties. Would you be willing to sit down with the um, you know, medical industry, uh, sitting down with government on this particular NHI again uh, and consult and reconsult on this particular bill before it's passed? Absolutely. Indeed, that is the very process that should have happened uh, during the consultation around uh, the bill when it went through the National Assembly and the National Council of Provinces. I think the business has demonstrated both during the pandemic and currently, of course, uh, in the context of key crisis, uh, crises uh, confronting the country, such as transport and logistics and crime and corruption. Not only are we willing to sit down, but m- partner with government and other stakeholders in addressing these challenges. So if such a forum were to be uh, created by the president or the government, we would willingly participate in it, of course. And if the government doesn't agree, you'll be taking them to court then? I No, I think the first step is that the president is going to have to determine the constitutionality of the legislation in front of him. There are many others who are going straight to court currently. Uh, we're reserving our options. That's certainly not a preferred route for us in the current situation. All right, that's Martin Kingston, uh, Chairman at Business for South Africa, saying in its current form, the National Health Insurance Bill still has some work to go. They're willing to sit down with government and the health department to kind of reassess how NHI can be a workable solution, both uh, for government and also the private sector. Motel Paripe on The Money Show. 6 to 8 p.m.
Now, every time you walk into a KFC and buy your favorite meal, at the end of that point of sale, you always ask whether you're willing to donate two rand to a good cause. Most of us wonder where this money goes after we've donated. And today we found out where those worthy causes uh, go with Dr. MTS Suleiman, the founder of Gift of the Givers. They've partnered with KFC. And uh, Dr. Have you looked at this particular initiative and said we're going to be taking some of the two rands that KFC has collected across the country and going to be helping others who need this money desperately? Good evening. We've already started that, you know, with KFC partnership. It started last year when they gave us five million rand. I'm not sure if it was part of the two rand or part of something else, but they gave us five million rand. And then this, and of course, we had spoken about the increase in hunger in the country. People may not know how bad the situation is. It started initially with the COVID during lockdown, where there was a lot of hunger, where we delivered a lot of food parcels and set up a lot of feeding centers. Over the last two years, we found that when we go to a local disaster, most cases it's either fire, a flood, some kind of rain. Normally when you go, especially in formal settlements, people will tell you they want building kits. They don't ask for too much other stuff. But this last two years, when you get there, they ask where's the food. And we started to wonder, how are you guys asking for food? You've never asked for food before. And then we investigated a little further and we watched the small children eat. We realized there's been a lot of hunger before the fire and before the flood. And if they were affected, what about the guys next door who didn't have the fire or didn't have the flood, but they live in the same community? And we checked with them. We found hunger was there also. So we started increasing our feeding program. And then in February this year, in Eastern Cape, we found a lot of children were dying from malnutrition. By the time they got to the clinic, it was too late. And then we got involved with the health department and we put in a lot of nutritional products, 25 million one type of product, you know, assisted to help get things under control. Then we got another shock in August this year. The 6th August coincides with our 31st anniversary. We found that a mother killed the three children. She put Ratex for the first two that mm. were small in the food and then stabbed the bigger one and hung herself. And when we investigated, it was because of hunger. We went into the village, you know, lots of people in the village. We found homes with kids with, you know, no parents in the house, just kids sitting alone with no food. We found an old lady cooking her last cabbage. And as a result of that, you know, KFC has been checking with us all the time as we've been spending their money. And they came up with a plan. This December, every single tour is for you. But more than that, we're going to give, not give you the tour only. We're going to match it. So all the guys who give tour and KFC will match the tour and make it four and. So the food, it goes much more further. And that's why they call in campaign Add Hope. There's nothing more demoralizing than to see watch people suffer with hunger. The important work that you do, uh, Dr. Suleiman, is, is uh, one forgets that you need money to have such um, you know, great initiatives go on in the country. How important is it to have private players uh, join you in some of these uh, programs? It's critical. Remember, everybody says government's supposed to do everything. But you've got to be realistic. Government doesn't have all the money. Well, yes, you tell about corruption and that's true. Those things do happen. But even if those things didn't happen, we don't have a big enough tax base in our country to look after 65 million people. Most of those people from pre-94 never had the opportunity to study, to be professionals, to get entrepreneurship, to run their own business. 
it's it's now the backlog that you know it it, it cannot be managed. It, it's sort of the only those that are earning after '94 who've learned to went to university. Things have changed, but still they can't carry the burden of 65 million people. So yes, while government's got this corruption, but as I repeat, if they didn't have the corruption, they still will not be able to meet the needs of the country. And that's why it's not only private sector; it's all of us because it's our responsibility collectively as a nation. Whatever we can give, five rand, ten rand, fifty rand, the fact that we can eat and we have a little surplus, there's somebody on the other side who does not have a meal for one day or four days or five days. Don't look for the KFC children. Find the people in your area and see what you can do around you. You know what? Because because that you're not on the other side. We've seen enough of the other side. We know what hunger does to people. We've every corner of this country. We've seen the hardship and the difficulty. And we appreciate KFC and other people who come forward, you know, private and public and individuals to make us help, help us make a difference to the poor in this country. Now, when we look at this particular period, we in most South Africans are looking forward to spending time with family, sharing a meal uh, at the same table. This particular partnership with KFC Ad Hope uh, program will it, it go uh, past the festive season, maybe into the new year, taking care of those uh, children that you've uh, earmarked uh, for this particular uh, initiative. Well, we already done it for the year. We already done it from January. You know, we we just expanding the network. We're adding more because what we do is we don't say, okay, we'll give you for two weeks and then we go down the road and give them for one month and then we go across the village to the other side and give them for 60 days. It doesn't work like that. When we start something, if we search 60 people and say we can only feed 60 people, we're going to feed 60 people for 365 days a year. And then we're going to add another 60 as long as we can do it for 365 days a year. So what, whatever we do, we, you can't suddenly leave people that you're feeling in the lurch and say, sorry, starting for the next two weeks now we're going somewhere else we don't operate like that we sustain what we do all the time the other challenge from maybe today or tomorrow is the schools are going to close or maybe they already the kids already gone home from last week once the exams are over then there is no more school feeding program so you now have to absorb the school feeding program through your feeding centers which is another challenge which we are already preparing for so that's why the kfc support at your Turan and their Turan makes a huge difference and besides all the other stuff that we're getting from other food companies and things in kind to try to add everything together to make a difference because we now have to feed these kids during the school holidays. Before the school holidays, we were feeding university students. They would come to you and they said, we've got accommodation, we've got textbooks, we've got transport, we've got tuition fees, we've got no food. And they would collapse in the class and what's the point? You spend 80,000 rand a year on learning but they can't learn because they're hungry. So we're looking after them. Then the clinic sisters were calling. It's all this part of the same program. They said, you know what? Our patients are not getting better on TB, HIV medication because they're not drinking the medication. They've got no food. Can you please help us? So consistently, there are clinics we selected where we take food parcels. And of course, when there's community people, elderly, physically challenged, who can't move anywhere, we deliver the parcels to them. So everybody's support will be for this, but it will be sustained. So I'm being realistic. I can't help everybody. But as long as I can keep adding 50 or 60 per day in different areas, we will continue doing that. The program will not stop in December. It will continue for the whole year. Then, Dr. Suleiman, what kind of um, effort makes these particular projects sustainable? Because like you're saying, you can't feed everyone. But can South Africans get involved and how do they uh, get in contact with you to make sure that they add their hand uh, to this great initiative that you're taking on? Well, it, 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 you know, they, there's different ways of getting involved. My f- biggest call is to corporate South Africa not to cut jobs. You know, there are companies who say there's no money, cut jobs, and then they increase the shares and the bonuses for the CEOs and the MDs. That's totally immoral. 
please don't do that. Rather share the money and let people get their earnings because they become, they come off the grid. They look after themselves. They put a burden to the country. Burn is a terrible word, but there's no other way of explaining it. You know, that, and they, they off the grid, they look after themselves. They get independence, they get dignity. That's the first thing, don't put jobs. Secondly, create opportunities for the youth. You don't have to give them a big salary. Give them a stipend. They come from university. They're looking for something. Give them an opportunity to get experience, to get self-worth, to get self-esteem, to get confidence in themselves so they can grow. 2,000, 3,000 a month you pay them. It's tax. It comes out of China, expense, tax expense. Give them the opportunity. 200,000 youth can easily be absorbed. They start earning. With two to 3,000 a month, they will take care of, of the family of seven. That's of the system. Three, whatever food companies can give us surplus excess food, not cakes and biscuits from, from the shop. And we don't believe in things like that. But proper, wholesome food. Give us that, more of that, we can carry on. All of you can do food gardens. We're encouraging that too. We just got a support from a company with seeds and fertilizer and jojo tanks. And you know where we can put school gardens? Of course, you need school, good school management. Sir Lodis Pass Primary School is a brilliant example of the management, the school principal, the governing body, how they look after the garden, feed the kids, sell the surplus food. If one school can do it, the whole country can do it. So those are the type of initiatives. I'm sure a lot of people got their own ideas about entrepreneurship and how to support, give people skills, make people independent. The aim is to move away from dependency. And the only way you can do that is creating skills entrepreneurship or opportunity and the people themselves must be willing to make a difference to their own lives. All right, that was Dr. Mtia Suleiman talking about their partnership with KFC. This December, every single two rand contribution made to KFC Ed Hope will go directly to Gift of the Givers, Africa's largest disaster relief organization. And KFC will match the final amount donated from the 1st to the 31st of December. So for every two rand, KFC will be adding their own two rand to make it four rand to make sure that children over the festive season and over the longer period Periods will be fed in the country. The Money Show with Moteo Haripe on 702. Let's walk the talk. APSA Corporate and Investment Banking Market Leader in Renewable Energy Deals across Africa is proud to bring you The Money Show. APSA is a registered FSP. Now, according to data that came through today, quite depressing data really showing that most of us don't have the money to go through this festive season. A new data from the FNB BR Consumer Confidence Index pointing to an under-pressure consumer in the country. But I'm sure I don't have to tell you that you felt the effects of a low-growing economy, the higher interest rates, the higher food prices, the Consumer Confidence Index slipping to negative 17 index points in the current fourth quarter. Now, remember, a number above 50 is considered positive, while a number below 50 is considered a contraction and we're currently at negative 17 index points uh, so looking at a very bleak december black december one that's not quite festive to unpack some of these numbers we're joined by ndumiso kubeka uh, chief economist at kh research equity partners ndumiso these numbers pointing to the fact that this particular uh, festive season most of us will keep our wallets shut um, this data set certainly does, um, and, and I think particularly because during this quarter of the year, we typically anticipate higher fixed investment, investment rates 
both on the business side, but also on the consumer side, which typically reflect in higher GDP numbers in the following year. But I think this data set as a leading indicator is indicative of the general consumer environment, but also the permeation of the producer environment and what the outlook looks like. And of course, um, this is likely to be reflected in the retail sales numbers that we will see. And of course, the stickiness of inflation that we've seen over the past year some of the geopolitical risks that we've seen play a role in terms of household expenditure and, of course, the budget um, that we're likely then to see in the beginning of the new year. It's been a tough year for consumers, if you think about it, the high interest rates environment. Of course, we were still in that uh, sob cycle of high interest rates. Those interest rates remain elevated at 8.25%. You think about the slow-growing economy. You think about power cuts, all sorts of things affecting consumers, including a higher food basket. Now, if we don't have that consumer spending that we usually enjoy during this period, and of course, South Africa's economy is quite dependent on consumer spending, Are we likely looking at a technical recession going into the fourth quarter next year? Indeed, I think if uh, this data set is anything to go by, I think we are certainly are at risk for a technical recession. And I think specifically as well, when we're looking at the constrained fiscal environment that South Africa finds itself in right now, which is likely to be reflected in taxation revenues that are going to be recorded, that are going to be reported into the new year. And of course, looking at um, the monetary policy environment where we've seen higher interest rates for an elevated period of time, we're also likely to see higher interest rates longer, which of course would then suggest that consumers and of course from a retail perspective, we're unlikely to see greater expenditure when it comes to more durable goods. Now, of course, this has a significant impact in terms of industries such as manufacturing, transportation and logistics, which has also been constrained by the ongoing power cuts and load shedding and of course, the challenges that we've seen from a transport and logistics point of view where Transnet is concerned. So all of those areas, I think, contribute to a constrained consumer environment, but also the outlook that consumers have in terms of where they would need to manage their own disposable income in order to safeguard their their, their well-being um, in terms of the management of household expenditure. Well, in South Africa, we all live in different economies. There are those that are high earners, uh, middle, high middle income earners, uh, those that are lower earners and those that are earning grants. Of course, uh, the impact uh, that we feel as uh, consumers in the country, not as harsh, depending on where you stand in terms of those levels. But these particular numbers showing that confidence levels among middle to high income households uh, also went down slightly, while those in the lower income bracket uh, earning less than 5,000 rand per month edged up a little bit uh, how can we explain that those that are in the lower band uh, saw inc- uh, the, the 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 economy edging up in terms of sentiment well we could possibly see that in terms of the priority focus um, that the, of pronouncements that have been uh, made from the medium-term budget policy statement in terms of safeguarding the security safety net from a south africa point of view but also we can also attribute it to Um, what we've seen from an industrial action point of view, where we've also seen uh, workers who are actually suggesting that they would need to get a specific increment because of estimates based on uh, the South African Reserve Bank that inflation is supposed to be within 3 to 6%. Therefore, as a result of that level of certainty, I guess, that is attributed from a monetary policy perspective, you'd find them saying that they would want a 7 or 8% uh, interest in, in uh, um, escalation in terms of uh, uh, wages or salaries. And so some of those factors can contribute um, to the lower band expectation in that regard. But I think, um, again, remembering that these are aggregated sort of 
estimates and aggregated outlooks. And as a consequence of that, the general consumer environment broadly, when you look at aggregate demand, which is uh, severely constrained in the South African environment, it continues to be, to, to be limited in terms of prospects of expenditure and, of course, uh, driving stimulus in various sectors, specifically um, uh, sectors that have high data frequency, such as uh, the retail sales numbers, and specifically looking at um, uh, durable goods, which contribute to, to fixed um, investment in the South African economy, which is an important indicator in terms of long-term confidence outlook, whether it would be positive or negative. So all of those factors contribute uh, in terms of the varying nuances that we're seeing across the classes of income. I'm trying to find some uh, bright spots here when I'm looking at this data. South Africa usually enjoys, of course, uh, those seasonal jobs when it comes to the festive season, whether it's retail or the travel sectors that uh, employ people seasonally. Could we see this uh, spur on that, uh, that the consumer spending that is so low at the current moment? Well, of course, I, I think over this period where we are likely to see that kind of spending when it comes to um, tourism activities, if we're talking about accommodation or even transport services um, over, the, over the season. But I would not think that would be as elevated as we, as we have seen in, in the pre-COVID era but also in the likes of 2021 slash 2022, where we've seen that U-shaped kind of recovery when it comes to the fourth quarter of the year. Um, Again, because of the limited or structural constraints that are associated with this environment, but also the general sentiment that uh, drives the patterns when it comes to consumer spending. And so until some of those factors are then uh, ameliorated in in meaningful ways, um, and I think as well, even with the expectation of elections in the coming year, I do think that uh, from a consumer perspective, there is that uh, holding tight and seeing um, how far the ship can sail before really making any significant big investments that would require either debt commitments um, or, or fixed commitments um, uh, for, for in terms of the holding of capital um, in that regard. This particular um, data from FNB and the BRR is, is really uh, about the sentiment, how consumers feel about the local economy. Do you think uh, these feelings that they carry about the local economy, the low growth and uh, the lower sentiment that they've uh, played out here will get into play when going into elections and making decisions on who leads the country next? So I think um, this sentiment is is also reflected in the business confidence uh, data points as well, um, where we're seeing there's some level of reservation in terms of um, increased investment, specifically um, from a fixed investment point of view. And so when it comes to determining uh, the outcomes um, of uh, of next year or the fortunes from an elections point of view, I think the verdict is still out there. But I would think that um, it, it will certainly drive a lot of policy uh, value propositions that um, consumers might be, um, I think, leaning more towards. I think at this point, the question of growth has continued to be a a sore discussion point for consumers, but also for businesses alike. Also, I think when it comes to the stability of certain um, availability of energy, the transport and logistics, we're seeing also the evolution and the impact of uh, technology advancements in various sectors and anticipated job cuts which will largely inform, um, I think, the thinking and, and the thematic areas when it comes to the outcomes of next year. So by and large, in certain instances, we would try to try and uh, discern whether or not is it the politics that are driving the discourse or is it the economics. And uh, 
my call would be that it's certainly the economics of the day that would certainly be driving the discourse of what will, is likely to happen um, going into 2024. So we're likely to hear politicians shouting about who will take the economy forward in the country more than services that we usually hear about. Now, confidence levels among middle to high income households going down in this particular study. Uh, can you just contextualize for us what are the, uh, you know, the drawbacks or the knock-on effects of having higher to middle income earners holding back in terms of spending on higher ticket items like cars and, and houses? Well, it has a significant impact. I think um, part of the drawbacks has uh, been part of what we've highlighted around the elevated interest rate environment that we've seen not only domestically but globally as well. And, of course, that is informed by a number of um, exogenous factors that have informed that kind of elevated environment. But secondly, um, when we're talking about a middle class that is uh, constrained in terms of spending, it has a ripple effect in terms of key sectors, whether we're talking about the agricultural sector, whether we're talking about um, the services sector and otherwise. Um, that level of spending has an implication in terms of the likelihood of seasonal jobs. It has a, a, um, a, an impact in terms of the corporate plans of organizations for the expanding of uh, um, human resource capability. And all of that ultimately informs the gross domestic output prospects of of the South African economy. Now, when you have a constrained middle class in this instance, which uh, formulates really the bulk of economically active citizens in this instance, um, it serves as a great constraint, especially when we are also looking at when middle class consumers are looking for better prospects they are likely then to want to further their education, to be able to increase their income potential. But of course, that as well, if if there's a constraint in terms of available cash flow, you would need to raise finance and debt to be able to do so. And so that can also be constrained by an elevated interest rate environment if they would be able to pay back or service that that debt. So across all of these factors, um, a constrained middle class does not augur well for mid-term prospects of an economy. And therefore, I think it would be quite important from a policy response perspective to try and ameliorate some of those constraints in a way that would really pick up the optimism that is associated with spending uh, from the middle class in our economy. All right, some sound analysis there. Ndumiso Kubeka, Chief Economist at KH Research Equity Partners. And remember, this is the lowest festive season consumer confidence reading in more than 20 years. The Money Show. Small business. With Pablo Fatidis. The small business feature is brought to you by Bidvest Bank. Bidvest Bank, built for your business. We are joined by Pavlo Fatidis, talking around the challenges going into the next year, how to thrive as a business. You must work on your business, not in it. Pavlo, again, welcome to The Money Show. How does one step away from uh, being involved in the business and then watching it uh, grow uh, from, uh, from the outside? Well, you never, ever step away from being involved in it, and, and that's the key. You know, I think very often that expression, work on the business, not in it, is is horribly misunderstood in so many ways. And Motel, you know, I was listening to the earlier interview you, you had about what lies ahead in the economy, the state of the economy as it stands today. I think we're in for a very, very challenging 2024 and getting this idea of working on the business, not in it, is going to be an absolute requirement. And I think the best way to describe it is to share an analogy. If you think about setting sail with a ship, 
So let's say we leave Cape Town Harbour and we set sail for uh, New York, and that's where we're heading. Uh, there are a couple of things that are very similar in running and building a business to sailing a ship. The first thing is you need to have a clear destination. We need to know that we are going to New York and we need to be able to chart our course. And let's say it's going to take 10 days to get there. We need to resource the business. We need to resource the ship with enough food, fuel and water. We need to resource the business with enough investment and enough capacity to get to that destination. The next thing that's similar is that you need a crew who run systems in a ship. You've got people who work above the decks, below the decks, in the engine room, at the helicopter pad, the crane pads, etc., and so forth. In the business, you have your employees, and they're working across marketing to bring new customers in, sales to convert those customers into clients, uh, operations to fulfill your promises, and then administration and supply in order to retain those clients. And then finally, and this is the key to getting from being in the business to on the business, as a business owner, you always begin in the engine room because in the engine room, you get the propellers turning and turning propellers give the ship momentum. In other words, you get revenue coming into your business, but you need to move from being in the engine room up onto the bridge of the ship. And at the bridge of the ship, you're able to see 360 degrees around you. You can see the storms ahead of the path and you can figure out how to navigate around the storms in order to get to that destination. That's what working on the business should result in. You never become uninvolved. Yeah. You remain very involved, but instead of doing things, you're leading things. But Pablo, a lot of small business owners will tell you that, look, for us, 2023 was for survival. We've been able to do that. But now you're telling us 2024 is going to be rougher seas, a fight of our financial lives. How do we make sure that we still look over the business uh, without panicking too much, uh, led by conditions? Look, panicking, when you panic out at sea because of a storm or a fire or you hit an iceberg and there's a big hole in the hull of the ship, um, panicking is a sure way to to achieve a number of things. Firstly, it makes you as a leader look uh, very weak and uncertain. And what matters in a time of crisis, especially challenging times, is your crew needs to have confidence in you as a captain. I mean, imagine, I, I, imagine the ship's going, remember, years and years and years ago, was it called the Oceanus? It was that ship that was sailing um, from Durban to Cape Town, and it was hit by an enormous wave that stalled the ship, uh, punched a big hole in the hull, and the ship started to sink. And the first person to hop off the ship was the captain. He climbed onto the helicopter and argued afterwards that he needed to be in the helicopter in order to facilitate <laughs> and lead and manage the evacuation of the ship. So jump ship um, first. In tough times, <laughs> he was the first person to jump ship. And, and the captain's always meant to be the last person. In, in, in tough times, your crew, your employees, your team, your customers, your suppliers are going to look up to you for certainty and confidence. So in doing that, in achieving that, it means instead of panicking, which means that you're likely to be unprepared for the tough time ahead, build a business that will release your time and attention from operational activities, 
in order to allow you to spend your time and attention in leading and navigating the future. Because if you can do that and set one single destination, it starts to build immediate confidence. Matei, imagine I say, hey, come onto my ship. And you say, right, where are we going? And I say, well, we're going to go to New York. And you then visit me a day later and you say, where are we going? No, I've changed my mind. We're going to sail to uh, Brazil. I'm not getting on that ship. a day later, you ask me, where are we going? (laughs) You would lose complete confidence in me. So don't panic. Set a clear destination and build in order to release your time to navigate to that destination. Pavlo, looking at the conditions, yes, you're saying that, you know, you should stick to your navigation, uh, look at the business, even if there are times of turmoil and make sure that you've got your head on your shoulders. Uh, but, you know, how important is it to stick to the main thing that the business does? Because a lot of people will advise you during times of turmoil to innovate, to change and become something else. How important is it to drill down on what you're good at doing uh, in order to survive those situations? You know, that is, that is, that is the perfect, perfect question because the one way to prevent yourself from ever panicking is to have only one destination. And that's where the challenge comes in because, you know, certainly when I speak to business owners and say, what do you hope to achieve in the next, you know, three to five years? They might turn around and say, I want to double or treble my revenue. So if you focus on revenue and income and sales only, In many ways, you're only working with possibly 20% of your crew, your team, and you're only paying attention to 20% of the business. If others turn around and say, well, we want to enter into new markets, or we want to bring on new products, or we're going to pivot out of this industry into a new industry, I think all of those destinations are not sufficient enough to allow for substantial, conclusive, holistic leadership. I often think, and I really do believe, that the best destination should be something centered on enterprise value. Because if you look at how you put value to a business, it means a number of things. Number one, you need to be competitive in your industry. So if you're paying attention to remaining relevant and competitive, that is a good way to lead. You need to have good solid operations that are consistent and reliable. If you pay your attention to that, it's a good way to lead. You need to have a motivated team who are inspired about the future, who are confident about what they're doing and confident in the future. That is a good way to lead. The fourth is you need to be growing irrespective of a low growth environment. There's always growth if you position your business competitively. And then the final thing is you need to be leading and you need to have your time and attention on those four things. You need to not be doing the work. You need to be managing your team, motivating your team, counseling your team, mentoring your team and giving them accountability and responsibility. Because the moment you do that, you show confidence in them. If you do all of those things, Matteo, and you keep your eye on that enterprise value, made up of those five elements, day in and day out, from one week to the next, from one month to the next, you're sailing to one single destination. It gives everybody confidence and it builds momentum and value in your company. 
Then Pablo, just the realistic um, things that we're dealing with uh, in South Africa in terms of power, um, would it be wise then to focus on maybe having backup power so you remove that as a problem, uh, looking whether you would like to import goods from uh, certain parts of the world or you're going to source them locally because of the crisis we're having at our ports, would that ease the way that you do business in 2024? I think it certainly would. And in fact, you know, I think anyone who hasn't already created a solution around being, from a power point of view, independent of Eskom, has fallen behind dramatically. It's absolutely, no, they're the essentials of business. And if I listen carefully to your question, the approach to your question should start with a couple of things. The first is recognize the reality of the environment we're in. Mateo, through no fault of yours or mine, I do not believe there's one politician out there that is going to create economic growth for the country. Because every time politicians have promised economic growth, in the last 20, 30, 40 years, have we seen it? No, we haven't seen it. Economic growth needs to be personalized and centered on only one thing. Put your mind, put your attention, and put your time only on what you have control over. So get control of power, make sure you have it. Have a look at the trade agreements. Next year is going to be a huge year of big trade agreements. They're going to come out of COP28, and we're going to be tied into them. Uh, the whole SADC initiative, the African Union initiative, the yeah. big BRICS initiative is going to progress. Find sources of supply and collaborative partners in areas where the momentum and trend of our economy is moving. And already you're going to find yourself in a far stronger position than those are still hoping that our government will fix things for us. All right, stay ahead is the message from Pablo Fatidi, CEO at Auric Business Accelerator, covering our small business focus feature today, saying that you must work on your bus- on your business and not in it. The Money Show. Personal Finance. Welcome back to The Money Show. Of course, it is the summer holidays and time to celebrate and most of us usually feel cash flush around this time of the year, even though we know we're not because we're around family, it's good times, Black Friday specials, all these festive advertising that we see around us. We all feel like we've got a bit of cash to spend. But how do we manage our finances during the festive season? Our personal finance feature today, we're going to be talking and tackling that particular issue. Gugu Sadiki, a director and wealth manager at WealthCrete, joins us for this conversation. Gugu, um, you know, it's, it is a time when we feel like we've got a bit of money, even when we know we didn't get a bonus, we didn't get any extra cash. This month is no different from what happened in November, but for some reason, we have that good feeling to spend money. How do we make sure that we actually budget correctly and get into 2024 without being broke? Hi, Mateo. Uh, it's it's Sidaki, but um, that's, that's perfectly fine. Um, it is an exciting time, um, especially for South Africans. Uh, I, I hear it on the radio. I, I talk to people all the time. Nobody does it December like South Africans do. And that, that's a good and a bad thing, right? Um, it's a good thing in that, you know, by the time the 1st of December hits, it's, it's you can feel it. It's in the air. The mood is festive. Everyone's happy and excited uh, to go home and seeing loved ones. But also there is a downside to it, and that's your personal finances, unfortunately. Um, and so, 
a lot of people do tend to find themselves under a lot of pressure and a lot of strain um, during this time. And, and obviously, that's why we're having this conversation about that today. So we see quite a lot of common personal finance challenges during this time. And, and the most obvious one is, is obviously excessive spending. Um, as I said, a lot of people are super, super excited to have hit the 1st of December in intact. And um, we tend to part with our money a lot easier during this time. Um, we're all excited to see our family and, and our loved ones. That's another reason why, you know, we tend to part with money a lot more easy because we, we, we're with, you know, the ones that we love. So you want to spend and, and you know, enjoy your time with them. And also, we, we mustn't forget that there's a lot of pressure on, on people around this time because there's a lot of competition in certain families or certain individuals. Um, and there's a lot of expectations from certain family members to, for you to prove, you know, that you've been working hard, that you work hard, you've got a great paying job and that you can look after your, your people and your loved ones. So people tend to overspend almost, you know, in, in a, in a bid to prove to their loved ones that they can and that they've got the ability to do so. Um, and another interesting one that I, I hear people mention quite a lot, and I've seen it in action, is that people shop under the influence. <laughs> and, and it's another oh, reason why that's people, a bad part, idea. Part with, <laughs> people part with their money a lot easier. You know, one of those impulse um, decisions to, you know, go quickly to the shops while you're busy sitting with your family members around the braai. And after you've had, had a few sips of, of the truth syrup, um, you may find yourself, you know, partying with your money a lot easier. So it's, it's just one of those things. So not a good idea to be at the mall at around 11 a.m. having mimosas then before you shop. But around this time, we, we, we tend to ignore our budgets. Like you've done well throughout the year. You've put away some money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but come this time of the year, you feel like, look, there's no tomorrow. There's no 2024. Um, why do we mm-hmm. lose that discipline uh, come this time of the year? I know there's excitement around being with family, but uh, why is it that we mm-hmm. can't plan into the next year? Look, I think the, the thing about budgeting is uh, even during the year, in the first 11 months of the year, it's, it's a very difficult thing for people to get their handle on. Um, and so it makes sense why it, it would be even worse um, during the December holidays with all these emotions and excitement going on. Um, getting a handle on your spending, so where your money goes on a regular basis, is probably one of the most difficult things that, that people um, find themselves dealing with. And it's one of the things that I, as, as a professional, really, really struggle. Well, not struggle, but it is a bit of a challenge to get my clients to, you know, stick to uh, a plan on a consistent basis. So, uh, you know, we, I think we also need to be a lot more cognizant of that and be a lot more gentle with ourselves when it comes to that. It is a very difficult thing to do. And especially if you're going at it alone, especially if you don't have enough information and especially if you're not aware of all the, the, the factors that influence your spending, especially around this time, it can be really, really difficult. But yeah, during this time, uh, very few people actually honor their debit orders. It's actually quite scary, you know, and then one of the reasons is, you know, people get paid a lot earlier than they, they should, yeah, a lot yeah. earlier than they usually do. And so your money hits um, just before the, the actual holiday starts, so around the 15th or so. And and most people get paid uh, r- roughly at the end of the year. So by the time you get to like Christmas time, around the 25th, 26th, that money is pretty much gone. And and so we find that a lot of debit orders bounce around this time because, you know, by the time you get to the 25th, you've forgotten. You know, you've forgotten you're at home with loved ones, the mood is festive. And the last thing you're thinking about is those debit orders. Um, I've, I've also noticed that a lot of people tend to pause their investments and their savings during this time. And the responsible ones actually call us or, or they get in touch with um, 
their planners to pause their their investments before the debit orders bounce. But many people forget um, to contribute towards their savings and investment during this time. Obviously, because they they're wanting to spend a lot more on on family and friends. And you you quite rightly said that very few people actually, especially in this year, have gotten a bonus, and so they're having to make do with the same salary. Um, you know, during a very festive and expensive time of year, um, and that's why people struggle to to manage their budgets um, during this time. And also remember the the expenses over December look very different to the rest of the year. Um, Christmas clothes are still a thing. Can you believe it? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if, if you, yes, yes. So if, if you're a, a, a somebody who, who, who has children, um, uh, you know, that, that you love and, and care for, you obviously want to please them and, and buy them pretty things over the holidays. And obviously, you know, being with family, family and, and friends during this time, we tend to eat a lot more because we're celebrating a lot more. So uh, the food budget is a lot higher than, than what it usually is. So, and that's why the budgets um, look very different. And that's why people struggle with their spending plans during this time. But uh, just going back to that uh, debit order um, issue, you can still call um, whoever that you need to pay, right? And, and tell them, mm. look, I'm actually getting paid on the 14th this time around. So if we could move the debit order a bit earlier, just to make sure that I have all my expenses covered. Yeah, and that's the responsible thing to do. And, and that's why we're having the conversation on the 7th of December, not on the 21st of December, <laughs> right? Um, because you still have a bit of time. There's there's a couple of weeks to go. Um, all is not lost. You really can do quite a lot now before before the excitement really, really hits. So yeah, you're, you're quite right. Um, you can make arrangements with, you know, whatever service provider you're using. Or if that's not possible, you know, it would be a lot, a lot of them do allow you to actually transfer those funds into, into the, those, those platforms or those accounts. And then it, it just avoids the, the issue of those debit orders bouncing later on. But apart from celebrating with friends and family, this time of the year does come with a lot of stress as well. Uh, financial stress, um, having those tough conversations with your family to say, look, I didn't have a great financial year. I've actually just made it. So we won't have the same Christmas that we enjoyed last year. How important is it to sit down with your loved ones, sit down with your friends that you usually go out with and say, look, I'm going to actually sit out this December and be as minimal as possible? Mm. That is probably one of the hardest things to do. I mean, if you think about you and your situation um, and having to tell, you know, people that you love that you cannot, you know, enjoy or partake in the festivities because it's been a, a difficult year. I think regardless of how people experience the year, they find a way to celebrate um, in December. And, and, it, and it's, it's, the, it's, it's for a lot of people, it's their undoing because we get to January and then, you know, all of a sudden there's a lot more months left you know, than, than, than what you, that you, than what you're anticipating. But yeah, this, this is probably one of the hardest things for people to do and probably one of the most important things for people to do, to set the tone right at the beginning, um, to sit down with your loved ones and communicate, um, regarding, you know, the, the year that you've had. Hopefully you're having these conversations a lot sooner than December, but, um, bringing people into, into, you know, your confidence and letting them know what your capabilities are and, and, and where you fall short. And, and, you know, you'd be surprised. A lot of us carry a lot of shame, you know, when it mm. comes to matters of personal finance. And we think that, you know, people are going to judge us or look at us in a, in a particular way if, if we cannot, you know, extend ourselves beyond a certain point when it comes to money. But you'd be surprised. Um, you know, our country has gone through quite a bit. A lot of people are struggling financially. People understand that, you know, it's, it's been hard and it's been hard for everybody. So I, I think you'd be doing yourself a disservice if you don't sit your loved ones down and have a frank conversation around, um, you know, 
what what's possible and what's not with your money this time around. And I think that that also, you know, uh, possibly sets the tone for what what's going to happen in years to come, because we should be having this, these conversations, whether good or bad. So whether you are struggling financially, whether you've had a bumper year, we should get into the habit of of sitting our people down and and having frank conversations and chatting to them about, you know, the the money that we make and and what we plan to do with it and how we plan to spend it. So it's, it really is a crucial one. All right, if you just joined us, we're talking personal finance, financial mistakes to avoid during the festive season. Uh, joined tonight by Kuku Sidaki, Director and Wealth Manager at WealthCreed. Do join us for more in this conversation, talking about how you can make sure you can plan ahead for a better financial 2024. The Money Show. Personal Finance. APSA CIB, the market leader in renewable energy deals across Africa, is proud to bring you The Money Show. APSA is a registered FSP. If you've just joined us, we're talking personal finance, uh, financial mistakes to avoid during the festive season. Gugu Sidaki really taking us through those key points that we can look at planning our budgets for 2024. She's, of course, the director and wealth manager at WealthCreed. Gugu then picking up on some of the solutions that we can have as consumers over the festive season. I saw someone on social media put their cards, all their credit cards into a coffee mug, pour water in there and froze all their cards. But we don't have to get that extreme, do we? <laughs> Look, we have to do what we have to. <laughs> it, it, we all we know what our problems are, and we know what what it's going to take to solve those problems. So maybe freezing the cards is the solution. But no, um, I, you know, before we get to that, I think what, one thing we need to address, and I think one thing that people underestimate, is is marketing the power of marketing and shopper psychology mm. and shopping psychology. Um, everything out there is designed to get you to part with your money. Like you have no idea how incredibly hard these people work at getting you to part with your money. You you think you you wake up, you know, you get up and you decide to go buy um, whatever expensive bag or whatever food type or, or whatever it is that you've decided to buy on that day because it was an impulse buy. More often than not, you have been influenced, you've been coaxed into buying that specific specific product or service and, and you don't even know it. So we're and victims, so when yeah, you go we're just to the, victims, right? We are the biggest victims ever. <laughs> And which is why we need to keep our, our wits about it, right? So you need to be really, really aware. You need to be awake, um, especially if you're trying to keep, if you're trying to get a handle on your finances. Um, everybody is trying to get their bit from, from you and they will if you, if you're not awake. So just, just pay attention. Um, you know, the positioning of certain items in, in the shops, the color, um, of those items and wherever they're positioned, the music that's been played, the lighting, um, everything is designed to get you to part with your money. You need to remember that every time you leave your house. And nowadays, you know, you don't even have to leave your house. They've made it so simple that you, you just need to open your phone or, or your lab. Previously, it had to be your laptop and then you need to get a router and whatever else. Now you literally just open your phone and everything is at, at, at the click of a button. It is so scary. So, um, it's, it's, it's not just you. Right. And I think we tend to be so hard on ourselves and we tend to beat ourselves up about, you know, what I spoke about earlier about not keeping to a budget or a spending plan. But the, the odds are against you. They're stacked up against you, which is why you need to work extra hard to make sure that you keep your hard earned money. I think you're going so to get um, me to wear shades and earplugs around the mall. So <laughs> I'm on the lookout. It's not help you. But what can um, we do realistically? They, they, they get you before you leave your house. <laughs> 
So the, the realistic thing to do is obviously to plan ahead. Um, obviously now we're in December, but um, the idea is to start thinking about December and January, right? If you really are wanting to have an incredible December, think about it in January. And, and you know, you need to plan as if you're not going to get that bonus. Pay yourself that bonus. Put away 100 rands every month or 50 rands, whatever it is that you can afford to ensure that, you know, there is something for you to be able to enjoy yourself with um, come the festive season. Um, you need to establish a realistic spending plan um you know so often and you see it all over social media and we talk about it as, as professionals all the time is that people need to budget and i said to you it's the hardest thing to do and and we tend to use a, a budget and, and and i know people are so tired of that word we tend to use a budget as a stick to beat people up with you know, um, a, a spending plan or a budget should be a guide. You know, it should it should be a a some a tool to help you to better manage your finances. It should not be something that you dread doing. It should not be a swear word. It should not be the swear word that it is today. Ultimately, what you're trying to do is is to improve your financial outcomes at the end of the day. And and one of the best ways to do it is to have a a plan of sorts, um, in the form of a budget or a spending plan. The type of um, discipline to, we have, uh, though, does vary um, as consumers. Is there a way that we yeah. could have our money locked up over the festive season in an account that we can have uh, <laughs> opened up probably at the end of January? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's probably that, that was going to be my next point. That's probably one of the best things that you can do for yourself. You know, when people put um, a, a spend or an emergency fund um, together for themselves, it generally is is like in a notice deposit account, but it's it's in a it's in your bank, right? Your banking profile where you can quite easily access it, and that's quite dangerous. And that's how you find yourself in in quite a bit of trouble. Um, one of the best things that you can do for yourself is to open, even if it's a money market account, but to open it in a platform that's removed from your banking profile so that, you know, to, to increase the steps and the barriers to you getting to that money, you know, improves the heart, the chances of you keeping that money at the end of the day. Yes, it, it does become a slip when you have to try and access it, but that's the point, right? And especially over the December holidays. So it's a very clever idea to, to open an investment account even if it's a short-term um, product, you know, where you're going to ring fence um, money for school fees because you're going to need that money. You know, you're going to need that money for school fees. You're going to need that money for, for groceries in January. That, that that train is never late. It's it's going to come. So, you know, and you don't want to find yourself frustrated because, I mean, we, we do the same thing every year. You know, come come January, everybody's complaining about the fact that they don't have enough money and, you know, mm. they're stressed about their personal finances and there's ways to mitigate that. And that's one of them. You don't necessarily have to have a lot of money, but you can just manage what you've got and in a, in, a, in a cleverer way and that's one of the ways to do it and then and, and and the last thing yes yeah sure you can finish no no i was i was gonna say i think we need to be honest again back to my point earlier about having conversations about about loved ones we need to be honest about how we manage our money and we need to be honest how we spend our money and we need to talk about uh, these struggles with with people that we love and we need to call each other to, to to we need to call each other out when i mean we all we we live in the same house with these people who overspend shop under the influence you know who all of a sudden are are the blessers of the family over do you know how know exactly hard it is to tell someone what to do with their money <laughs> like it's one of the toughest it things. is it is hard but but you know what at the end of it when people are, are have sobered up and when they're sitting alone um with their thoughts they they come back to those you know those conversations those honest conversations that they have with people and and if you love somebody you know one of the best things you can do is is exactly that call them out i mean what do we do with a child when they when they when they 
ill-mannered. We discipline them. We call them to order. What do you do with a loved one who's behaving badly? You talk to them about it. You know, if you really love somebody, you know, have those frank conversations with them. They may not be happy about them, but at the end of the day, it is for their benefit. And I think if more of us are accountable to each other when it comes to matters of personal finance, you'll find, you know, there'll be there'll be fewer opportunities to impulse spend, fewer opportunities to abuse credit, um, because all of a sudden there's people who are going to say, no, don't, don't do that, you know? And and my final point on this um, is that you, you need to seek help. You know, very, very few of us can can manage our finances in a way uh, by ourselves on our own um, in a way that 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 leads us to financial success in the end. And I don't think you necessarily have to be able to do that. I mean, what I say to my clients all the time is that I, I'm not here to teach you about your job. Right. You've gone to school. You've got all the relevant experience. You you do what you do best because that's what you do. Right. My job is to help you with your personal finances. You don't have to be an expert in how to manage your money. And we need to remove the shame and the need for control when it comes to to managing your personal life. You don't have to know how to do it and it's okay. And it's okay for you to seek help when you don't know because that improves your chances greatly of achieving financial success in the end. Okay, we all don't have an excuse after that. Uh, Certified financial planner, director and wealth manager at WealthCreed, Kuku Sidaki, telling us how we can better manage our finances. And if you're lucky enough to get that bonus, maybe spend it on things uh, that you can cancel off that come in January in terms of uniforms, school fees, and make sure that you have a better start going into January. Uh, Kuku, thank you so much for that conversation and those insights you've shared with us.